So we want to thank you for uh, coming to the uh, question answer session. Uh, it was uh, Al's idea, thought it was a great idea, so we decided to tag team tonight and uh, answer your questions. But I'm going to make it easy for you guys, because we know that Jesus is the answer for the world today. So every answer to your question is Jesus. Thank you for coming. Let's all stand and have a word of prayer. Amen. <laughs> Uh, just kidding. But let's do open up in a word of prayer. So we're going to do this very orderly. Um, we'll just, you know, take one question at a time and we'll try to answer it to the best of our ability. If we don't know, we will say we don't know. And that will give us time to maybe research it and talk about it. Maybe next time we have that, we can address that question that we couldn't answer. Um, but we know that uh, whatever questions you ask, they're not going to stump God. They may stump us, but they're not going to stump God. And whatever question you have, some way, somehow, it is found in the Word of God. It's found in the Bible. Uh, so, you know, God is holy, God is loving, God is just. We know those things are the premise to the answer to whatever question that we have. So let's just take a moment and uh, ask the Holy Spirit's guidance in this endeavor. Lord, we want to thank you and praise you so much for this night. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to come together uh, and question your word. Questions are healthy. You're not afraid of any question. No question is going to stump you uh, because you are the God of truth. You are love. You are light. You are truth. You are the way. So uh, we, we sit here in confidence that even if we don't know the answer, we know it's somewhere found in the good book. And we know that we can get to that answer at some point and readdress that question later. But Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just guide Aaron and I and uh, bring to memory maybe some scriptures, passages, and things maybe that we have forgotten or haven't uh, studied or looked at in a while. Bring to our memory those things that will help answer the questions that are on people's minds. Because asking questions and getting those questions answered helps build faith and it helps draw people closer to you in a closer relationship with you. And it makes them more confident when they're sharing with others. So um, we ask, Lord, that you uh, uh, guide us and speak through our lips. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would open up the hearts and mind that, of everybody that's here and everybody that's going to be asking questions and uh, make their hearts receptive to what your word has to say. I mean, we might spout out our opinion here and there, but ultimately we want to give the word of God as the answer and ask that uh, you would make everyone's hearts receptive to the answer from the word of God. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. So I think the first question we're going to address is somebody told me this morning or this afternoon that there's three of you who had the same question. So that would be a good one to tackle right now. So who's the three people and what was that question? Well, three aren't here, but the question was two or two of them are here. Okay. And you want to know why there's still Nephilim when they should have been destroyed in the flood. Okay. Why were there Nephilim when they were supposed to be destroyed in the flood? Well, if you read the scripture, and I can't remember the passage, but it said... During that time, the flood, and afterwards, there were giants in the land. So there are several theories to how this could have happened. So one theory is, is that one of, Noah, one of Noah's son's wives, Ham's wife, was carrying the Nephilim gene. I don't particularly subscribe to that theory. I believe everybody on the ark was pure. But uh, there's that theory. And because we know that it was the Canaanites who come from Ham that ultimately... 
um, perpetuated the giants after the flood. So we know that. Uh, so that's one theory. Another theory, as crazy as it may sound, is that we know that the spirit realm is in another dimension that overlaps with our reality. So right now as we're sitting here, there's angels and demons all around, but we just can't see them. So, you know, some theorize that there was that possibility that um, portals opened up and some of the Nephilim escaped into the spirit realm only to emerge and come back later. Others believe and others feel that the flood flooded the earth and that the water came up from the earth, which emptied the caverns in the earth. And maybe some of them escaped to the hollow earth and survived out the flood under there. Um, that's another theory. Uh, there's also the theory that there was another rebellion or that not all the angels that participated in what went, you know, what happened were, were locked up or were seized or caught or punished or what have you. And because we know there was a resurgence, there was a reoccurrence of the Nephilim. Now we're seeing that happen again. We're seeing that happen in our time, as in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. But it's no longer this half-angel, half-human kind of thing that we read about. It's half-human, half-alien. But we know who the aliens are. We know that they're the fallen angels. We know that they're the, the, the demonic. Uh, so we see that happening again, but in a more modern motif. So those are the biggest theories regards to how there was that resurgence of the Nephilim. Do you want to add to that? Well, just kind of <clears throat> summarize, you have rebellion in the Garden of Eden, you have rebellion at the days of Noah, you have rebellion at the Tower of Babel. And Jesus said, uh, there's going to be another rebellion at the end of this age. Uh, in our age, the gen time of the Gentiles, <clears throat> day of, I don't want to call it day of grace, it's always been the day of grace, but uh, so <clears throat> it's kind of uncomfortable to think about it, but it's like you've heard of the the fourth industrial revolution, revolution, revolution. You've heard of the fourth Reich. Uh, well, basically, the Bible says there's going to be a fourth rebellion. A great apostasy will happen, and that's part of that fourth rebellion. Deceiving spirits are going to do their work, right? And many, many. Jesus said, "I'm going to have to cut the day short just so I can find some people." Who aren't corrupt. Sounds like Noah's day, right. which is what Jesus said. Before I come again, here's your sign. It's going to be like Noah's day again. So not only is it going to be people forgetting God in their lives. They weren't atheists. They just lived like God didn't matter. Uh, and you're going to have, in the form it takes today, would be UFOs, aliens, those kind of things, genetic manipulation, and all that. You're, we're, we're in. If we are indeed at the end of this age, we are in spiritual rebellion, where man is led astray by fallen ones into rebellion against God. And that's, this is the uh, not the last one, by the way. Let me throw this out here, too. There, all, there is also a possibility that people are becoming Nephilim because Nimrod was supposedly the first human being that became a Giborim, which is a form of Nephilim. So we don't know if there was some sort of ritual or incantation or exactly what he did the scripture's not clear on that but he was a human being who became a nephilim so there might that might be going on too there might be people that are becoming nephilim possibly by uh you know uh, uh oaths and rituals and things that they're interacting with the spirit realm so does those answers help answer your question 
Is anyone familiar with L.A. Marzulli? I know URL. He uses a term that really helps. Helps. He says there is Nephilim archaeology, basically things that only non-human beings could do with fallen angel technology. Okay, and that kind of describes Nimrod, for example, becoming. It was. It was. He was becoming a Nephilim through fallen angel technology. We call it technology. They used to call it magic, <laughs> right? And they're kind of indistinguishable to some degree. But So we're, we're now in a fourth rebellion that was prophesied. We have the book of Revelation that tells us how this rebellion is going to end. And Christ himself is going to live amongst us and the angels. Oh, we're, heaven's coming to earth. That's going to be great, right? And after a thousand year millennial reign, this... this um, Cherubim is going to be released and he's going to go. There's going to be one more rebellion after that. Hard to believe, but scripture says it will happen. So that'll be the fifth and final. After that, well, in that one, there's not going to be the trouble that we have now. It's going to happen and God's just going to say, okay, that's it. We're going to enter into eternity. Never, ever again will there be a test or a trial or a temptation. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, before we have the next question, I want to read off to you a list of books that you may be interested in, because since this is a question and answer period, these all have to deal with hard things of the Bible. So um, if you want to write them down, fine, or you can listen to this later and write them down at a later time. But Haley has put out alleged discrepancies of the Bible. So a lot of times you'll get people to say, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions, and they'll bring two passages that seem to contradict each other. This clears all that up. Alleged Discrepancies of the Bible by Haley. Uh, there's one by Middleburg called Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. There's another book called Answers by Josh McDowell. There's one by R.C. Sproul called, now that's a good question. Then you have InterVarsity Press, and the reason I just say InterVarsity Press is because there's like four or five authors involved in this, and it's Hard Sayings of the Bible. Then you have another one put out by Broadman Holman Publication called 4,000 Question and Answers of the Bible. So those all might be great resources for you to uh, check out because they may have some qu uh, questions in there that you've been asking and you might be able to get answers that way as well. So if that question's answered... Can I just ask something about what you just said? Yeah. <coughs> do you recommend or do you think it's okay for people to search on Brave or DuckDuckGo for some of their questions? That's fine, but just be careful because, you know, there's thousands of websites and thousands of opinions, and you don't know if you're going to get the right one. So whatever, if you search online through DuckDuckGo or Brave or some other trusted... I would want to be right. Um, make sure that whatever you find, you can validate scripturally through the Word of God. You know, because if it if it you know doesn't you know quite jive, then toss it out. Keep searching. But yeah, uh, ju but just be careful because you know there's thousands of opinions and thousands of people. There's armchair scholars who are just putting out, spouting out their opinions. So it is kind of hard to you know unless you know that there's a trusted site like Skywatch TV or. Ellie Marzulli or, you know, one of those guys are, yeah, prophecy watchers or somebody in, in that kind of circle. So well, the best defense against any error is know the truth. Stay in the word. Yep. Study the word because there's gazillions of errors, but there's only one truth. So the more you read and study the word of God, the more you're going to know a counterfeit when it pops up.
And I've given this illustration before, but when people are trained to spot counterfeit money, they don't study counterfeit bills. They, they, they deal with real currency for months and months, even years at a time, and then all of a sudden they'll slip in a counterfeit bill. <coughs> Boom, they catch it right away because they dealt with the real thing, and it just doesn't look right, smell right, feel right, you know? So, uh, next question. I, sorry, but... Um, Al, you, you have a limit. You can, this is your third and last question. I'm just kidding. My crazy question was, uh -huh. um, I've heard that... Uh, is it possible that some of the Nephilim are deep under the Euphrates River? Well, the, there's a passage that talks about uh, four specific spirits that are locked, that are chained right. at the bottom of the Euphrates. Right. I'm not sure if they have anything to do with the Nephilim specifically or not. Okay. Uh, but, fallen angels. Yeah, they're, they're fallen angels, <laughs> but whether they had to deal with the Nephilim rebellion, I'm, you know, I, I can't answer that. I'm not sure, but... That prophecy well, has still yet to be fulfilled. Scripture says, um, uh, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So it's not Nephilim, it's angels. There's a difference. Yeah. That's, but is that not coming up soon? Under. Pardon? Is that not coming up soon because you're afraid uh, that, that will happen in the uh, tribulation period. Oh, okay. Uh, I believe that happens somewhere near the middle. I mean, if you take Revelation chronologically, anyway, and I do. In the seven years? Yep. So and that has not happened yet, no, no. unless we are in the seven years. And I know Chris and I hold a little bit of different understanding on that. We're both pre-millennial, both uh, see everything as Bible truth, but I'm one of them pre-tribbers. So. And I'm post-trib. <laughs> I, you know, I, I believe that we'll go through most, if not all, of the tribulation. And if you're a pre-trib, if, if you want to be wrong like Aaron, that's fine. <laughs> I'm going to explain it to Chris when we go through the air. <laughs> no, I've, I've told people. Now, I've told people. Yeah, I've told people. I am more than happy if there is a pre-trib and we're going up in the rapture and you want to be like Nelson uh, or Nelson Munson from Simpsons. Go, <laughs> I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, I'm totally fine with that, you know. But um, anyway, so we won't, we won't get into that. But it's good that we could rip about that. So. For sure. All right, your uh, your 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 questions are all over. You used all your Dave, three, so. Dave, you got one. I got a question, and uh, I've had an answer for it before, but I just like to hear it again just to see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> see how wrong we are. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just something that when I first came up, it it kind of like puzzled me. There's a whole bunch of things that puzzled me. It was when um um Cain killed Abel. Okay, when Cain killed Abel, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. The land of Nod. Yeah. So you've got you've also got to take into consideration and remember that Adam and Eve had tons and tons of children. The Bible just focuses on the main characters, the main children they have that's important to the redemptive story, that's important to the narrative. So it's it's not gonna list you know, all of Adam and Eve's children. And so we know that they had many, many children. Therefore, they were able to grow quickly, populate quickly. And, you know, they all kind of scattered all over. But the Bible just focuses on the main characters. So when, you know, goes to the land of Nod, right? Mm -hmm. Is that correct? You know, so it was a sign so that if anybody seen him, they would not kill him. So it was obviously 
their you know distant relatives or their descendants their relatives or whatever so, so that freaks us out because of our scientific uh, knowledge but there was no law i mean abraham married his sister okay <laughs> can't get around or half sister that, that most, father, yeah. right i mean there was no prohibition but the reason uh if you understand science and the way uh thermodynamics work is things tend toward disorder so adam and eve genetically are pure uh you can even trace that purity to noah in the days uh, of the Nephilim, right? Uh, he was pure in his genes. He was a descendant of Adam and Eve only, right? But it, each time our genetics, our chromosomes are uh, reduplicate, uh, there's a possibility that there can be a loss of information or a mutation of information. And those over time add up. So when Adam and Eve have sons and daughters, it's very possible uh, for Cain to be drifting somewhere and to not meet anybody for some time. So we don't live 900 years like they did, but let's just say we live 100 years and we have a family of 20. Okay, before I'm done having babies, I'm having grandchildren. Okay, that's how it works. And that does happen nowadays. Still, uh, there was a family up there at the March for Life that we were working on. They were 14 at the time and they are working on it. So by the time they have... You know, a few more children, they're actually going to have grandchildren, probably. So that even, and they're only 40, 50 years, not even 40 or 50 yet, right? There's Al, I don't know how many kids Al's got. But, <laughs> I wasn't talking about you anyway. But, but, you know, so if you just look at our lifespan, within, by the time you are 60 or 70 years old, you're going to have great grandchildren. And they were commanded to be fruitful and multiply. Having family is a part of what imaging God is. God made us out of a desire to have more family. And so he says, be fruitful and multiply. We're, we're acting out what it is to be God's image bearers. And so you would probably have a population of many thousands within a couple hundred years. Hundreds of thousands. It would be very easy to populate at that rate when people aren't dying at the age of you know, young. And people didn't die of genetic things then. Why? Because genetically, there wasn't mutation. There wasn't loss of information or coding it wrong. So by the time you get... You know, a couple thousand years, you have God saying, you know, a few thousand years later, no longer can you marry a, you know, do those kind of things. Why? Because God knows what's happening to our genes. Mm -hmm. He knows it's for our good now because if, and for us, for sure, if you're third, fourth cousin, you want to not marry because kids are going to have recoded loss of information or genetically, you know, the problems. So, so that was so solely too populated. Yeah, so when Cain kills Abel, you know, <clears throat> uh, you, you've already had, you know, up to 100 years of reproduction, right? Cain and Abel are the oldest, and Seth was born before Adam, when Adam was 120, according to Genesis 5. So you've already got a 100 plus years of Adam and Eve having other sons and daughters. He could actually marry a lady he never met, who's his sister or niece or whatever. And I mean, so it's weird for us, I know, but for them, it wasn't see, the issue. Even during the time of the Torah, when Moses uh, was, was writing down God's laws in the five books, even at that time, God had set up limits on who you could marry because even by that time, the genetics started becoming corrupted and misinformation and things like that. So if you remember... Uh, the Xerox machines, right? And if I, if you make a copy, you could probably make 
several dozen copies and they look good, but if you make a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy and you take the very first original image and the very last, it's going to look very blurry, very digitized, very muddled. It's not going to, it's going to be imperfect, impure. And that's kind of the way the gen genetics work. Genetics. So does that help? Yeah, it does. Okay. I have a theory and I would like your thoughts on my theory. Okay. Okay, so you know how Cain and Abel, when they gave the sacrifice of fruits versus a lamb? Mm -hmm. My theory is that the reason why um, God was upset with the plant to be the sacrifice is because our kind had gone against God by eating the fruit of knowledge. Well, that's interesting. But we also have to remember that there's a lot of fruit and grain offerings in the Levitical sacrificial system. The Levitical sacrificial system, it doesn't solely deal with animals and blood. So my take on it is it wasn't necessarily wrong for Cain to give. See, what I get is this was a first fruit offering. So a first fruit offering is whatever you are. If you're a, if you're a shepherd, you give the first fruits of your flock. If you're a gardener, it's the first, first fruits of your garden, whether it's a vineyard or whatever. So I think where God was upset with Cain is not necessarily that he brought a bloodless sacrifice or a plant-based sacrifice. He didn't bring his best. He, he brought something that was inferior or something that was left over or something that was an afterthought, whereas Abel brought his fattest, plumpest, juiciest, best lamb possible. His, yeah. And so, yeah, Cain was kind of holding back. And so that would, would you agree with that? Yeah, in the text of that in uh, Genesis 4, 7, God is speaking to Cain after he has rejected his offering. He says, Cain, if you do well or if you do right, is right, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. Uh, that's an interesting phrase, sin is at the door. God, literally, it's a double in, in you know, there's two, two points to that. One is, if you have sinned, there is atonement. Okay? Um, so it's not that, you know, Cain's offering was out of a wrong heart. He just did not, his heart was wrong before the Lord. He didn't do it out of faith. He, whatever we can't point a finger on, because you can't judge another man's heart or motive, even when they do wrong. Right? But certainly God points out that, hey, your countenance is not right with me. There is an offering for you if, if you don't, you know, like, so we have the same thing when we come before the Lord. We have a heart issue. That's what we have. And, you know, same thing. God says, if you do the right thing, hey, well, you're going to be fine. But if you don't. So it kind of implies that he brought it with a crappy attitude, too. Yeah, which is, you know, something we all fall prey to also. We're not going to kill our brother over it, but I mean, and so the other aspect um, uh, is there is an acceptable way to do this game. That's, there's on one side, God is saying, I have an atonement for you, right? There is a covering for your heart so that you can get this right. But there was also an appropriate sacrifice. That's the idea is that Cain, you brought, you, you, you didn't bring me what I asked you to bring, which is more along what Chris's answer is. Now, to, to cut, like, I, I, I like your theory, so let me kind of like help you out with that in a sense. Like you were saying, if, I'm, if I understood you right, that because it was because of a plant that man fell into sin, 
He was bringing a plant offering, which God frowned upon. Yeah. So think of this. According to rabbinic tradition and Jewish tradition, again, this is not scripture, so take it for what it's worth. The tree of life was an almond tree. And so a branch of that almond tree was given to Adam as a staff, and it was passed down until it made its way to Moses and Aaron. And that staff budded and produced almonds during that great contest against the leaders. Now, according to rabbinic tradition and extra biblical literature, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a fig tree. And what kind of tree did Jesus curse that withered up? A fig tree. So I think that's kind of interesting. So, you know, maybe you kind of got your justice or your theory that way in a, in a sense. So I just thought maybe it was too soon, like too soon after the fact. You know how you can make a joke? Oh, yeah, Once yeah. Once it's been like a little bit further down the line or like if you have something that traumatized you further down the line, you can do it again. Right. But like so soon it might make somebody. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, like everybody did I'm sure it's coming. So I think Wade had his hand up. Did you have? No. Oh, okay. So, all right. Um, does anybody else have a question they want to ask? I have another question. Okay. Okay. This one's actually stripped of this question. How come God doesn't talk to us anymore? He does. He does. But like with a and like an actual yes. being yes. like yes. with like a, a like his own like bush or like with like his own angels why doesn't well, he send his own angels down anymore I don't he, think he does it's yeah, just we're not all of us are privileged to experience that like I've got a good friend of mine her husband um, was working I think for the cable company or something like that and he fell from the top of a telephone pole working on the pole and he screwed up his back really bad and so he fell into a major depression and so the whole family went to a camp to get away he was kind of sulking in the cabin while his wife and daughter took a walk and while they were gone jesus showed up it's like okay why do you get to see jesus and i don't like you know but jesus was kind of like folding his arms like you know are you done feeling sorry for yourself are you done pouting kind of thing you know and so i don't doubt his encounter i don't doubt that he experienced or saw jesus you also have like testimonies there's a book i forget what the name of it is but it's stories of muslims who are seeking the truth and they're like okay god if you're real like show me. and jesus shows up in a dream or jesus shows up in their room and says yes i'm the way the truth and life and they convert so God still does speak to us through angels, through uh, Yeshua, through himself, but not every single person in this room is privileged. Like, I've had God speak to me through dreams. I've had, you know, God, I feel like he, he spoke to me, it, and it wasn't an audible voice, but I know what he said, and I know what it was kind of thing. So he still does, but we just don't hear about it. And then there's also a lot of charlatans and phonies who make up stories that give the real deals a bad name too, yeah. but mostly he's everything he wanted to say to us is in his word. So like I said, it, whether we're talking about angels, demons, UFOs, dogmen, werewolf, leprechauns, whatever, I mean, as crazy as it is, whatever question you have, it can be answered in God's word. Some way, somehow, you just got to find it and look for it. It's in there. So, you know, he speaks to us through his word, and then the closer we get to God, the more intimate he becomes to where he'll, he'll speak to us in dreams. He'll speak to us kind of like in a knowing way, we'll like he'll download something in our spirit and we'll just know that we know that we know. And then if we're lucky, maybe he'll 
show up, you know, or maybe he'll have one of his angels show up or whatever. So before you do, we know that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, and we know that sin separated them from God's presence. They got kicked out of his home, which is the Garden of Eden. That's God's palace on earth, so to speak. And then you find um, this interruption, so God begins to work through intermediaries, angels. And Jesus himself takes on human form as the angel of the Lord several times. Not born of a virgin, not in that sense, but uh, pre, pre pre-incarnate. Incarnate. Yeah. And you find, like, Samuel is a great example of someone meeting him, right? Like Samuel, he hears this voice, and he goes to Eli, and he says, here I am. He says, that's not me. Go back to bed. Right. Yeah. The fourth time, or the third time, Eli says, the next time the Lord talks to you, say, here I am. Well, it's interesting because in that text, it, it literally says, uh, the um, Lord came and stood. It's not a voice. The Lord came and stood. And called as at other times Samuel, and Samuel said, "You know, it goes on, but he's not—he's not ethereal, metaphysical. He is in a body, standing at the door. That's pretty cool, right?" And calls him. And Jesus said in John ten, he said, um, "He says, my sheep follow me because they know my voice. A stranger they'll simply not follow, but they will flee from him." And then, this is the most clear voice that you're going to hear God say. It's very unusual that anyone hears voices. It's just not normal. Not that not it can typical. happen. It's, it's not a normal Christian experience. Yeah. It is uh, so God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, that's where we're at, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he has made the world. He is speaking to you every time you read the Bible. If you want to hear the voice of God, read it out loud. Because that's his word. Yes. And that's a powerful voice, that small voice. And just to kind of go along with what he was saying about the angel of the Lord, all the angels have names. You know, there's Michael, there's Gabriel, and then the Apocrypha and extra-biblical literature, there's Raphael, there's Uriel. So the one that doesn't have a name is the angel of the Lord because that angel of the Lord is a direct manifestation of God himself. And there's people that argue, no, 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 it's not God, blah, 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 blah. But if you read the account of Samson being born, the angel of the Lord came to Samson's mother and said, okay, you're going to have this child. He's going to be a Nazarite. Okay, will you come back and tell my husband the same thing? Yeah. So that happened. And what did the husband say? Oh, my gosh. We've just seen God. We're going to die. So he equated the angel of the Lord with God. And his wife says, no, no, no. If God wanted to kill us, we'd be dead already. So there in the scripture is linking, directly linking the angel of the Lord to a manifestation of God himself, which we know to be Yeshua, the Messiah, but pre-incarnate at that point. Yeah, so I mean, however, the still small voice, those who have ears to hear the Spirit, hear the Spirit, uh, whatever it is, uh, our, we, we are not um, subject to confusion because we do have God's Word. Uh, whatever voices you may be hearing, everything, every thought is to be taken to the Word. And if it is in opposition to the Bible, you, you say, put them in the air, you're, you're under arrest. You're going to the thought prison there. You're not free. You're, you're right. We take those things under God's authority for, from His word. So, because we all hear all kinds of things, right? 
I do. My my thoughts. I'm not hearing your voice or nothing, but I'm like the thoughts that come into my head are all over the place, and I just I got the word. And sometimes God speaks through you for somebody else. Mm -hmm. I've had brothers and sisters come to me and say, look, I don't know what you're going through, and you may think I'm a nut job, but I feel like the Lord is telling me to tell you this, and I'll be like, oh my gosh, how did you know? You know? So the Lord is using somebody else as a mediary, as a messenger, but it's still God's voice, but it's through another person. Mm -hmm. That's what happens every time the that Lord is preached. <laughs> okay, this is your third one, last one, just like Al's out for the count. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Christian, mm -hmm. you know, so. Yeah. So, and historically, now you have to say, well, what order were the books written? It's very clear that John's book of Revelation is the last of the books that were written in our Bible. Also, um, is it true that the Vatican stole books away from the Bible and keeps it underneath there, there is, according to, according, according to some Nazarene scholars and, and Nazarene writers and first century writers, um, not first century writers, I'm sorry, but yes, there are some books that were confiscated from the Nazarene movement. That is the Jewish movement, you know, up, I think it was around the third or fourth century, and a lot of them, some of them were confiscated and they are held in a Vatican vault. So there is a, a lot of like writings from the Nazarene Jewish believers that we don't have now because they're under lock and key. Doesn't mean that they're canon, doesn't mean that they, they, they belong to the Bible, but they would give us a lot of great historical you know, um, uh, insight and things like that. So, uh, yeah, there, there, there are some that are under lock and so key. The apostle, the apostle Jude says this, or the half-brother of Jesus, maybe the two of them. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt it necessary to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Uh, whether it's a sermon from your pastor, whether it's a book written by some Christian author, whether it is ancient documents, like because I, I have, as Chris has read way more ancient documents outside of the Bible, I think they're fascinating and they do illuminate some things, right? But there is nothing new. Zero. There's nothing new. You may feel that it's new to you, but there's nothing on earth that is going to change what is in this book. 
because this book is the judgment on all the books. The Bible is the book <laughs> above so, all books. So even the extra biblical writings of the Apocrypha that's accepted as canon by the Catholic Church was not accepted as canon by the Jewish establishment, but nonetheless, they still held those books in high esteem because they were historical and they were, uh, you know, they had a lot of great information that did illuminate on the canonical scriptures themselves. Something you have to realize is that Malachi, there are, there are no doubts about the books in the Old Testament. Those 39 books, there's no debate, there's no no community. I mean, those were 400 years before Christ came. Those are solid. Those are Bible. And there is nothing in your New Testament that you can't find there. Books that didn't make it, well, they were being judged by something called the Bible. Because Jesus that was read, the litmus test. Right? I mean, the Bible was finished then. The, the New Testament is, it's kind of like, I heard it explained this way in college, uh, like being in this room with the lights off, but everyone and everything is in here. That's the Old Testament. New Testament, when Jesus comes, the light of the world, it's like he turns the light on you and you go, oh, there's nothing new in the room. You just now see a little more clearly, right? And so the Old Testament's the New Testament concealed. New Testament's the Old Testament revealed. That's kind of a little slogan you can remember there. So but Jesus was like a proof. If he would not have been verified from the Old Testament, like when he quoted to uh, uh, Caiaphas, at his crucifixion, Daniel 7, where he said, from this day on, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds and those things. Well, Caiaphas rips his clothes and says, blasphemy. Why? Because it's Yahweh who's riding on the cloud. He's, he's making his claim of being God. He, he, they're saying, are you the king? And he's saying, I'm God. <laughs> right? Like king, yeah, I'm God. And so Jesus and all of the Bible writers, all were, that was their Bible. Genesis to Malachi, right? In whatever order they, they did, took did, him. Did you say Malachi? I thought, was, I thought it was Malachi. I thought he was an Italian. I thought he was an Italian prophet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Next question. That's that's good. Anyone else? That's a silly question. But are there dinosaurs? Like are dinosaurs explained? Yeah. Okay. So dinosaurs are part of the reptile and amphibian family, which. If they are allowed to live and they didn't have an expiration date or a lifespan, they would continue growing. Like there is a turtle that's like almost 200 years old and the thing is huge because it won't stop growing. You know, there's there's alligator zillas and hog zillas because they live so long and we don't know how old they are. So everybody's like, well, how could there be dinosaurs on the ark? It's like, well, they took babies, obviously. They took little tiny dinosaurs because reptiles are small. So they're still dinosaurs today, but we recognize them as reptiles, like alligators and crocodiles. And, you know, there's also there's also things that could be part of the dinosaur family, you know, like Nessie and Champ, the Loch Ness Monster. They could be part of that, you know. Um, Huh? Yeah, chickens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're saying that dinosaurs had feathers now, you know. So, but um, huh? Yeah, Job talks. He he talks about behemoth and leviathan, which were basically dinosaurs, and he 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 describes that the iron plating on one of the dinosaurs on behemoth, and that you know you couldn't and leviathan that you couldn't puncture him with a spear or with or grab him with a hook. So it really and it and people are saying, oh, the behemoth was a was a hippopotamus. Behemoth was an elephant. Uh, no, because Job said that behemoth had a tail that swings like a cedar. I'm sorry. 
But a hippopotamus and an elephant have little tiny twigs for tails. They don't have a tail that swings like a cedar. So it was a dinosaur. Now, as the environment changed because the water canopy was dissolved after the flood, things didn't grow as big or live as long. So the climate had changed so much that, the, that a lot of the dinosaurs uh, that, that are famously known on Jurassic Park died out. But there were others that survived, and they are the reptiles and amphibians we know today. So... Um, well, there's been a lot of meteor strikes because there's evidence of giant craters on the earth, but one to wipe out the dinosaurs, it was the flood that wiped out the dinosaurs. Because there's evidence in the fossil records, which the Smithsonian and you know um, modern day science will want to deny, but there's been dinosaurs that have been preserved as far as you can see their scales. Because what happened is when there was all that water and all that, it created a lot of mud. And it was a quick burial. So things were buried quickly and they were preserved. So you got their fins, their scales, their, you know, whatever. Um, in, the, in the Arctic, there's woolly mammoths that are preserved. Still have food in their stomach. Still have food in their stomach. And, and right, yeah. And so right now, I think what they're trying to do is get an Asian elephant and impregnate it somehow with the DNA of a mammoth to bring back the woolly mammoth. Whether that'll happen or not, I don't know, but it'd be kind of cool. Everyone should highlight this because that's a question. I've, I've heard people... I was at Little Pizza House, and I just asked this girl if she had a Bible. She said, uh, she said, yeah, but she said, I left the faith. And I said, well, why did you leave the faith? Well, she said, I asked my father-in-law about the dinosaurs, and he said that was a myth. We know it's not a myth. Yeah. Right? Like, I hope you'd never have, like, we need to know this one because dinosaurs are bones, or we find them all over. They think they think it all. Right? Well, here's what Scripture says. This is God speaking, by the way. Behold now, Bohemoth, which I made as well as you. Behold now, his strength is in his loins and his power is in his muscles of his belly. He bends his tail like a cedar. I don't know if you know the size of cedars, but uh, it says his bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. He is the first of all the ways of God. Let his maker bring near his sword. Surely the mountains bring him food. And all the beasts of the field play there. He goes on and um, he talks about Leviathan. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fishing hook? So we know he's one of the ones in the sea. Or press down his tongue with a cord. Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you or talk to you? And I mean, if you read Job 40 and 41, you'll see God talking about uh, Leviathan. Uh, can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Uh, it goes on, but I mean, basically, whatever these two creatures are, us as humans, we, we would be better to just stay away. <laughs> and so that even testifies that dinosaurs were alive in Job's day. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's, there's, um, there's evidence that there were dinosaurs, like um, stories in um, like the Amazon being being uh, leveled, the Amazon, the trees and stuff, that they're finding remnants, they're smaller dinosaurs, but remnants of them, and they just run away or fly away or whatever, so there's speculation that some of them still could be around today. Now, for creation questions, uh, look up Ken Ham and Kent Hoven. There's... Um, Creation Research Institute and AnswersInGenesis.com. Those are all great people and great websites to look at for dinosaur questions and creation questions. And you can get a lot of your questions answered through those websites and through those resources. There's an improvement to the current dating.
Oh, carbon date. Yeah, it's so unreliable. Yeah. Um, Jane? Okay, baptism. Uh huh. And then other people have told me, no, you're not baptized if you're not, unless you're baptized in the name of Jesus. So I'd like to have that straightened out. What the answer? What is, isn't Jesus the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? Isn't it the same thing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a good question. Uh, oh, if you don't mind me starting, you can... go ahead. Go for it. In Matthew twenty-eight. Uh, Matthew twenty-eight. Jesus has risen from the grave. He uh, he meets his disciples, and it says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated for them to meet him. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. That's an interesting phrase, but we'll move on. So Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of Name is singular, okay? Of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, the way Greek works there, name is singular, but that name is three distinct names. They are not the same. Those are three personal names. Jesus is not the Father. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit's not Jesus. They're, they're, that one verse right there shows us that God is the name. And the name is actually, God reveals himself as the name several times in Scripture. The name comes. It's not just like, you know, uh, I don't say the James and the Ashley and the Chris. That would be weird, wouldn't it? But here, because you don't do that because that's not normal grammar, but here you have the name. And that name has three distinct persons revealed in it which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you have a singular name, that's God, and yet you have three personal names. That's the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here it's not talking about water, it's talking about teaching. In other words, the idea of baptism is the idea of to unite or to be identified with. Romans 6 says if we're planted together in the likeness of his death, will be re resurrected in the likeness of his resurrection. So when you get that idea here in Matthew, uh, he's talking about whatever you know of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Our commission is to go and to teach that to other people. And he, and he says that, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and lo, I'm with you until the end of the age. So on that point, Jesus is Trinitarian himself, if you want to put it that way. That's not his, he's not trying to teach uh, theology. But he is in that name. And so is the Father and the Spirit. Acts 4.12. Well, as you're turning there, we also have to remember name. When we think of a name, we just think of a label, right? But name in the Greek, in the scripture, also represents authority. And we still kind of have a remnant of that today when somebody says, Stop! In the name of the law. You're, are you stopping because of the name law? No, you're stopping in the authority of the law because there's authority behind the law. So it says baptize in the name or in the authority of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit kind of thing. So that's another play on the word name there. So in the book of Acts, which is not a place to get doctrine from, it's a history book. The epistles explain the history. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts are all history books. Here's what happened. Sometimes it explains it, but a lot of times it doesn't. Uh, Romans through Jude are an explanation of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. But there are whole denominations that base their entire distinctives on the book of Acts. It is a bad place to get your whole doctrine from, right? Because it's history, and that's open to interpretation. And God's interpretation of that is in the epistles and the letters. But in Acts 4.12, it says this, and I want you to notice the name. It says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men, whereby we must be saved. So that name, Jesus said, is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and this is where uh, oneness Pentecostals will get this doctrine from, uh, and they're just wrong. I'm not saying they're lost, okay? I don't know a person standing with God. That's between them and God. But I know that biblically they're wrong. For uh, 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they take that and they emphasize that there's no trinity there. But they fail to remember what Jesus said the name was. Before this, before this, before the day of Pentecost, before this, Jesus said, I want you to baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you stick with what Jesus said the name is, then they understand. They're not going to, they don't need to. He doesn't need to say on the Father, Son, because they already know. Jesus already told them, I want you to baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you connect the dots and you go back to what Jesus said, it's okay. I, I personally... Uh, some people who learn that say, well, I need to be rebaptized because I wasn't baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you're good. Right? I really believe that. I don't think, because I think you understand that if your understanding is there is no Father and there is no Holy Spirit when there's Jesus, then you're wrong. Yeah. So this would be a good time to kind of like refresh everybody on this. Okay, he said that the name singular, and then there's three distinct personalities mentioned. This goes back to Deuteronomy 6.4, which is the John 3.16 of Judaism. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That word one is Echad. It is plural. Now you're saying, how can I have a plural form of one? One is singular. No. There is one singular, which is Yechad. And there's one in plurality, which is Echad. So Echad is one in plurality or one in unity. So when the children of Israel were bringing that cluster of grapes out from the promised land, when they spied out the land, it was the, the root word points back to echad. It was an echad of grapes, if you will. It was many, many grapes on one cluster. It was unified. The grapes were unified by a cluster. So as far as the Godhead is concerned, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, um, I liken it unto H2O. H2O can exist simultaneously in three separate forms. I can put an ice cube on the table, which will begin to melt, and a puddle of water forms underneath it. And if you look really closely in the light, you'll see the vapors escaping from the top of the ice cube. You have gas, a solid, and a liquid existing simultaneously. You have, you have gas, you have a solid, you have a liquid, but it's all H2O. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's all God. You know, it's all one. It's a chad. It's one in unity. Can I ask one question real quick? Mm -hmm. What name did Jesus get baptized? He baptized Jesus. 
I don't think he was baptized in our name. I think he was baptized for our reason. That would be the difference. Well, so, okay, you got to also remember a baptism in a Jewish mindset. Baptism in a Jewish mindset is called a mikvah. You didn't just get a mikvah when you repented. You mikvahed for a lot of things. So let's say you had a wet dream and you were about to go to the temple. Well, oh, I'm unclean. I can't go. So I have to go to a mikvah. So you were baptized before you went to the temple for the uncleanness of your nocturnal omission. Same with a woman during her menstrual cycle. Whenever they got new clothing or new pots and pans, they even still do this today in Jewish communities. They will go to the mikvah and baptize them. In other words, dedicate them to the service of God. So there's more than one reason to get a baptism, One more, more than one reason to get a mikvah. Christendom just focuses on that you know, salvation part. You get saved, you get a baptized as a public proclamation. This is what I did. This is what happened in my heart. And I'm, you know, doing this baptism because of that. So you kind of got to remember that as well. Yeah, Peter, Peter emphasizes the fact that baptism does not save us. And yet, and yet if, if you are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, you're not his Romans 8 9 tells us if we don't have the Spirit of Christ, we don't belong to Him. Romans 6 is the place that teaches what baptism in the Holy Spirit is. I know that we use baptism of the Holy Spirit. There is no place in Greek that uses that phrase. Baptism of, that preposition of, isn't in the Greek. It's in. Epsilon nu. In. It's in. We're baptized into Christ, not of Christ. And if you, you know, if you understand that. All those things are all saying the same thing. When Peter says, be baptized in the, name, in the name of Jesus, he is saying the same as Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born from above. Somehow the Holy Spirit has to plant you in Christ. In Romans 6, if you'll take the time to read that, you can study what baptism in the Holy Spirit is, what it means. We, we're, we're one with him now. Just like he's in the Father, we're in him. And that's so cool that... We just, you know, it's amazing. I got no guilt at all, no condemnation. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, I am a child. My life isn't, you can't see what it is yet. Why? Because I'm hid in Christ. And so because I know that's true, I, I purity is a big deal, right? So good question. Yeah, great questions. Yes? Do we know the age of accountability for children? Well, this is from a Jewish standpoint, I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all proposition. I think it really deals with the mentality because there are some people who never reach the age of accountability. Those would be people that are mentally handicapped. But in general, in the general scheme of things, a girl is, bar is bat mitzvahed. They become an adult at 12. A boy becomes an adult, a man through a bar mitzvah at age 13. So it's generally understood that once you're 12, 13, um, you are an adult. So Callaway, you're a man now. <laughs> so What's that? 13, Yeah, for compromise. And, and what age was Yeshua when he was in the temple uh, basically teaching the doctors? Yeah, he was 12. So, you know, that was even, even though they didn't have bar and bat mitzvahs back then, it was almost a precursor to a bar mitzvah. So that was kind of interesting. So the age of accountability uh, really depends on 
you know, the, the child's mentality, but it's generally accepted that, you know, we like we're responsible for our children's actions up until that point. And once they know right and wrong and once they know better, they're now responsible for their actions. That's interesting. So Romans 5.13 says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Law gives the knowledge. It goes over in verse 20, says the law came so that the transgression would be known or increase. So Paul's probably the best answer you're going to get is where there is no conscientiousness of breaking the law, there is no guilt. I may be guilty, but I'm not accountable. We're talking about the age of accountability. Well, if I can't be held, if I have no guilt because I have no knowledge, I, I'm still guilty, but not accountable. It's like driving through town when you didn't know it was a you know, crosswalk for students, right? You, you're just blowing, you're doing 50, which is what you're supposed to, but not there, it's 15. You don't know, so you're breaking it, but you're you're guilty. Now, when the law shows up, what happens? You're still going to get charged. Because you're still guilty, but when the law shows up, what happens? You didn't know, but when he shows up, boom, you, you now have guilt. So when we're talking about uh, children or even adults who are mentally infantile, if they have no awareness, it's not that they're not sinners, but they're not guilty for Adam's sin. They never were. None of us ever were. And neither are they guilty for any sin they've done because they just don't know and they can't know at that point. And God's justice, he does not hold them guilty for Adam's sin. And since they have no rational awareness, the blood of Christ covers Adam, right? Like David knew he would see his child who died. He knew he would see his child again. So, I mean, God, believe me, it's the only comfort I have with abortion is that every one of these souls is in heaven. Mm. And for moms who've had abortions or dad who, dads who have wanted those and gone through that, listen, don't live with that guilt and shame. Let the blood of Christ cleanse you, and you will have your child forever in heaven, right? Like, and for those I mean, who had miscarriages. Miscarriages. You know, your child is in heaven. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Good question. Is that answered? Yeah. yeah Romans 5.13. Okay, we're about at an hour mark. Do we have any other questions before we kind of wrap it up? Kind of different. Why don't we see any unicorns? They well, when when the flood took place, uh, they 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 were sleeping. <laughs> now now see, okay, that's a good question. Okay, that we were just kind of joking, but you have there's a thing called cryptozoology. So the this kind of goes along with the whole Nephilim. So you have all these mythological creatures, the centaur, the minotaur, the unicorn, the pegasus, the griffin, all yada, 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 yada. They would be considered they would be considered sort of the Nephilim of the animal world because in the scripture it says that all flesh had corrupted itself. So not only was the angels incurring upon the human DNA, but also on the animal DNA. And uh, so that's they were probably they didn't make the ark because they weren't pure animals. They were probably killed and wiped out in the flood as well. This has been happening here for 50, 60 years. Uh, again, um, two of the brightest Chinese scientists are test tube baby twin sisters, and they're totally a test tube. They're not. They're and they are a pool of different genetic uh, mixing. You know, uh, I mean, they're nephilim as far as I'm concerned. They are a product of 
you know, hookum spookum kind of thing. So science does not have all the answers for us. Because men are fallen, the more information we get, there's always going to be more death with it. God did not make us to know everything. And the lie is that if you know more, it'll lead to salvation. That's called Gnosticism. It's a very popular thing in New Age and the occult that Lucifer is the light bringer. And it, the more you know, salvation's in that. Well, Jesus said, no, it isn't. You think you have life because you know the Bible? He says, no. He says, that speaks of me. He says, if you don't know me, you aren't saved. If you don't know me, Jesus said, you don't have truth yet. You have knowledge, but not truth. And Paul said in the end of the, I believe, speaking of our time, and the, another, the rebellion that would happen before Christ's second coming was that people would always be learning and never coming to truth. And that describes our world right now. The exponential increase Daniel talked about of knowledge is happening so fast that we are going to be replaced by AI very soon if Jesus doesn't come back. You and I don't have any say in it because we aren't the ones with the money and the technology. We're not the ones pushing it hard. It's already being used. Right? Oh, yes. And Moore's Law <clears throat> teaches, you know, that it's an exponential increase. If it's two here, it's 20 here. It's a gazillion here, right? And <clears throat> the person behind most of that, or one of the early inventors, Ray Kurtzville, uh, he has come out and said his predictions for AI to take over called the singularity are wrong. He said it wouldn't happen until 2030. He said it's more likely to happen in three or four years faster than that. And it's like, <laughs> they're already making AI in senior homes to keep people. Oh, yes. Well, in right. places like China, um, AI has much more role yeah. to play in human living. And when he was talking about Gnosticism, let's also just quickly uh, address mysticism. There's a lot of people that are leaving the faith because they think this book is not enough. I'm telling you, if you have, if you don't think this book is enough, you haven't really read it. You may have read it with a carnal mind and say, oh, there's nothing to it. There's got to be something deeper. No, everything God wants us to know is in this scripture. So Gnosticism and mysticism, it's, it's, it's this titillating thought of, ooh, there's some deeper secret knowledge that we don't know about that makes us special from every other religion and every other group. And it's almost like you have some sort of monopoly on secrecy and on spiritualism and on truth. Most of that stuff will lead you down the path of new age and godlessness to where you will eventually renounce the faith. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, even, even in Jewish mysticism, the rabbis warned there were four guys who tried to study Kabbalah and only one came out a righteous man. In other words, only one survived. One of them killed himself. The other one become a heretic and uh, the other guy went mad. So, you know, if you if you weren't raised in that, you have no business touching any of that stuff because there is enough in the scripture to keep us busy for the rest of our lives. Some rabbis, I mean, obviously they know a lot and teach other things, but they'll spend their whole lifetime studying Genesis 1-1 and will not ever exhaust or come to the end of that single verse. So you want spiritualism? You want mysticism? It's in the 66 books of the Bible, folks. You got to dig into it and you got to read it with the, with with the Holy Spirit as your guide, not with a carnal mind. So, because you mentioned Gnosticism and it made me think, you know, people are always wanting to know that secret stuff or this stuff or you know. That's all. That's all. That's all like being back in the Garden of Eden, where Cherubim is saying, "Hey, if you just had a little more knowledge, you'd be like God." <laughs> that's the same lie, different dress, same lie. Yeah. Kayla. Um, okay, so I have a question. 
So uh, the let's say the kids of today that are being into this new trend of mutilating their body and switching to a different gender. If um, are are those because that's basically a very big sin. Are those kids like automatically like on the path to hell? Well, if they're like four years old and their mothers or their fathers are trying to do this to their children or people you don't have to do anything to be on your way to hell. Yeah. If you don't want to be on your way to hell, you have to do something. You have but, to trust in Jesus. I mean let's say one of these children passes away before the age of like knowledge and the age of if are they still able to go to heaven? I can't imagine that happening, but I'm I'm not sure some parents are not twisted to do that to the children. Doing all this yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's being inflicted upon upon them without their knowledge. Right. You so know, so it's no, they're not accountable for what their parents do to them or what they what their parents allow to be done to them. Their parents are going to be accountable. Their parents are going to yeah be it's accountable. Certainly, God's perspective on them. Uh, when God sent Noah to Nineveh, and Noah was complaining. Jonah. Or Jonah, yes. <laughs> I got that mixed up. I can't believe it. Jonah, he was complaining, and God said, there are 120,000 kids, basically, in this place that don't know their left from their right. In other words, they're not, they're not of age. Shouldn't I have compassion on them, Jonah? And God's desire was so strong that they didn't die. They were forgiven. There was a Bible. There, there was repentance, right? Like, there's parts about God that I certainly don't understand. But one of the things I know is that His word alone is enough to cause what needs to happen to happen. That's why I think that we, those of us who actually do believe the Bible, we need to stand up and we need to stand firm. We need to not be scared or ashamed or anything. We have the word of life we out of love should be telling people and if that spirit of fear or that flesh of fear tries to prevent you deny it say no you're not the boss jesus is lord i'm going to talk i might not have all the answers but i can point you to who does right and all i know is that you need jesus you need him and i i will not be ashamed or shut my mouth to tell anybody right but we all have to get past our feelings on this there's a in revelation 21 there is a very scary verse verse 8 and it lists people who will not be in heaven and you know who's first on the list cowards right and i think the church is full of cowards personally i'm not talking about that's why canada group, and the united states is in the state that it's in is because of cowardly christians right. it's our fault for not Fighting against well, all these this. Christians that want to fit in, like it's okay. Come to our church, even if you're gay. If even you if want to hate me because I'm speaking the truth, that's okay because your life doesn't determine mine. God does. He's the source of my life. If you hate me, you can't make me hate you. If you treat me wrong, you can't make me treat you wrong. You can't make me do anything. I'm a servant of the Lord. I, I got churches changing and allowing. Gay priests and all these things, and thinking that it's okay, like it's for money, right? Yeah. It's not well, for God. It's not for the right thing. It's it's for popularity and it's for uh, money. 
well, basically, right? Paul speaking to our times says about the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Um, and in another book over here, just a couple, that's, that's 1 Timothy 4, 1, and in 2 Timothy, he says in chapter 3, he says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, gossips, Without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, deceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. We ought to call them out. They're a spade. Call them a spade. But so many preachers have been unwilling to do this. They have loved pleasure. And they want people to accept them. They're scared for a paycheck. Whatever it is, those people are sickening. They make Jesus sick and they make me sick too. And I, and I can say out of love, I've right now got three people in my life, I'm pleading with them, please don't go down that road. Please don't go down that road. There's nothing new under the sun. It's not a new thing you're going to. It's an old thing that's been rejected. Don't go back. Don't go back. And because they have error, they believe that they could never possibly walk away from Jesus. They believe a lie called once saved, always saved doctrine. They believe that. When the Bible teaches contrary to it, it says Jesus will do what he's going to do, and he will do it if you continue in the faith. You see, faith is not a meritorious work. Romans chapter 3, verse 27. By what law is boasting excluded? By a law of works? No. But by a law of faith, boasting is excluded. You see, when Abraham believed Abraham, God didn't believe for Abraham. Abraham heard God, chapter 4, Romans tells us, and believed him, and God credited it to him as righteousness. Your faith earns nothing. Your faith is surrender to God. Your faith is saying, God, it doesn't matter what I think or feel, you're right, and I'll act on it. That's real faith, and it gives us nothing to boast in of our own doing. But it unleashes the, the, the spirit, it unleashes the promise. It's the thing that we believe in that we might not be experiencing yet, but when I believe, I experience it. And there's that aspect. That's not the Bible, that's me believing the Bible. Is that not, uh, that belief of uh, once you're saved, you're, you're good? That's like a universalist type. Of a universalist doesn't believe anyone needs to be saved, everyone is already saved. Yeah, Jesus, that's a Calvinistic Jesus doctrine. Jesus died for all men. So. Um, the universalism is very different than uh, Calvinism. Calvinism believes that most people are predestined to hell. Only a select few are predestined to hell. Well, we'll go ahead and, uh, you know, it's, it's a little over an hour, so we'll go ahead and wrap this up. So save your the rest of your questions for next time we decide to have a time like this. And uh, let's uh, just close in a quick word of prayer. Lord, we want to thank you for all the questions that uh, we've received tonight and uh, that we, through your Holy Spirit, uh, we're able to answer all of them, and I hope that we were able to answer them satisfactorily. And I pray that this will just edify us and increase our faith and help us to be better, more bold, more outspoken believers in the community that we live in. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we ask these things and give thanks in Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 Amen.